Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at the third part in the conversion of Saul. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be, so make your way over there, and once again, I gotta love this book of Acts. So many great stories that we can apply to our hearts and our lives, penetrating, if you will. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that we have once again to look at your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that everything that is said would be true to your word, and Lord, that would probe our conscience. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, as we pray often, Lord, that you bring conviction where conviction is needed, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Uh, Lord, I'm just so thankful that as we stand here this morning and sit here this morning, that so many of us can look back to a time when you got a hold of our hearts and our lives and you brought salvation to us. We're so thankful for that, giving us the hope of heaven, Lord, that one day we can spend eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, I do pray, as we've been praying every Sunday, Lord, that if there be one here, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, as it says in Second Corinthians 6, too, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And Father, we ask that your will would be accomplished, that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Saul has had one incredible experience. I mean, I don't know one person in this room that could even come close to the experience of Paul Higgs. I don't know anybody that was just kind of walking down the road with a group of people looking for people who are of the way, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden gets beamed by a bright light, and God begins to speak to them, and that's your salvation testimony. I don't know anybody that that's happened to. But I do know that many of us have had an opportunity whereby God challenged us, spoke to our hearts, and drew us to himself, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, so we've said many times over the years that God saves some people out of some things, saves some people from some things. I'm a from some things guy, because I was only you know, a young child. And, uh, but I'm so thankful that God saves, right? So thankful that God gets a hold of our hearts and shows us our need of salvation. And he uses different circumstances and situations in all of our lives to do that. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I hope that you had, can look back in your life to a time when you just said, hey, I need Jesus. Um, that's the impo- most important decision that any of us could ever make, is to put your faith and trust in Him. But, Paul, but Saul here has had one incredible experience, and God had opened his eyes, and he doesn't even know what God has in store for him yet. You know, I think very few people actually know where, where the salvation decision is going to take them. I think most of us, if we knew what was going to happen when we put our faith and trust in Christ, maybe some of us would be scared right off the get-go when we want to do it. But, you know, just blindly putting your faith and trust in Jesus and just trusting Him with your life. I mean, Paul didn't... Saul, he's still not Paul yet. So Saul, he doesn't even, even know what's in store for him yet. But uh, I know that uh, one thing is certain, that God's hand is upon him, and he's about to see what God is going to do. And uh, before we get started here, I want to just direct your attention down beginning of verse 21. I think is where I want to start. Um, no, actually, I want to start with uh, 23. So, in many days that had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to put him to death, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and recounted to them how he had seen the Lord on the road 
And then he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking about boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was having peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it continued to multiply. You say, well, how do you know that Paul or Saul really got saved? I mean, uh, there, there's a reason I want to ask this question, because so many times, and I've said this over and over and over again, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again till you till I die, is that a lot of people claim to know Jesus. There are a lot of people who claim because of certain circumstances that they know Jesus. Well, they go to church, or they help with those that are poor, or they're really nice people, and they, have, they don't maliciously break the laws. Or, you know, and you know, relatively speaking, they say, well, I'm a good person. And none of those things really matter, do they? I mean, it's great that you could say that I'm a nice guy. It's wonderful that you say, well, boy, that person's just really so kind all the time. They never say anything mean, and nothing malicious comes out of their mouth. Those are all wonderful things, but they're not things that will get you to heaven. We said that a thousand times. Why? Because God's Word tells us in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So you cannot be righteous enough. You cannot be good enough to earn your way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. You can't do it on your own. So a lot of people claim to know Jesus. A lot of people claim to be Christians who actually are not because they can never point to a time where they acknowledge that they were a sinner before Jesus Christ, that Christ died on the cross, and they put their faith and trust in Him for forgiveness of sins, and faith to spend eternity with Him in heaven. So how do I know that Saul was really saved? I think God's Word gives us several indications that really give validation to what he claims here. So how do I know this? Well, let me give you the first one. Many people claim to know Jesus, but there's no change in their life. There was a change that took place. And the change is important. You say, well, what big difference is the change? Well, first of all, if we look at just what God's Word says, He he basically says, I've crucified myself to the things of the world. So when He went down, and and we talked about this a lot about baptism over the last several years. So when I stand before God's people, and of course anybody that watches, I am publicly identifying myself with Christ. It says, I am not ashamed of knowing Jesus and who He is. It's a public declaration of my faith. And that's why I've said before, when someone asks me, can we do it on a Saturday when nobody's there because I'm really shy? Nope. Because it is a public declaration. It says I'm not ashamed. So, but the whole process of baptism is that just as Christ died on the cross and we stand in the water, right? We form a cross. We're identifying with Christ. We go under the water just like Jesus went down into the water and came up out of the water. There is a going under where we are putting to death the old man. And as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we are coming up in newness of life. Therefore, crucifying the old man, the old flesh, and the things that were a part of our life before we put our faith in Christ. And so there is a change that takes place in the life of Saul that is evident. Number two, uh, many people have short-lived changes, kind of like they're going through a, a fad or something that they're trying out for a new year maybe. That wasn't the case with Saul. Things changed dramatically for him. And not only that, number three, many seem powerless to obey God to obey God or to serve Jesus faithfully. 
you know, there are a lot of people, once again, that claim to know Jesus. They say, well, I read God's Word and I don't get anything out of it. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. If there are times when I read God's Word and I'm saying, well, I'm not sure if I fully understand what this section is saying. And I'll read it again and I'll read it again and I'll read it again. And then all of a sudden it'll hit me. I've talked about Mike, this with Mike several times in the years past. But, you know, I'll be sitting there reading and reading and reading. And it's just like, man, it's just not coming together. And it's like, duh, did you pray? It's like, oh, yeah, Lord, this section is hard. I really want to understand what it says and what it means and how I can apply it. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me. You know, and that, exactly what God's Word says He would do. He says, I will leave you the Holy Spirit, and He's going to what? Bring all things to your remembrance, the things that I've taught you. And the bottom line is, He gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us the things that He wants us to know. But when I can say consistently over and over and over and over and over again, I read God's Word and I don't get anything out of it, that's a problem. Because it quite possibly could mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. Because God's Word tells us that when we know Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So therefore, you have the Holy Spirit within you to teach you what God's Word wants you to know and understand. But you've got to take time to read it, too. You have to take time to spend time with God in His Word to know it. So there's a lot of people who say, well, I read it and I just don't get anything out of it. Are you truly saved? Or, or how about this one? Well, I know God, and, and, and yet I have a hard time just being obedient. I have a hard time just giving everything to Him. You know, God's Word says I can have victory over temptation. I can have victory to live the Christian life. He, God would never tell us to do something and then not empower us to do it. How many of you believe that? If God's going to tell you to do something, He's going to empower you to do what He's told you to do. So when God says in 1 Peter 1.18, be holy, did He say, <laughs> be holy, but you're never going to be able to do it. Sorry, try all you want. This is actually kind of humorous, watching them try to do this. No, what kind of God would that be? That'd be a narcissistic God up there in heaven just saying, <laughs> yeah, try all you want, not going to do it. No, He gives us the ability to do what He, you know, what he calls us to do, right? So when he says, be holy, he gives us the ability to do it. When he says, the, you know, do anything in his word, he gives us the power to do it. He says, temptation, there's no, no temptation that's taking you but such as what? Common to man. And with that common to man temptation, he says, there is a what? A way of escape. You know what I find with that way of escape is most of the time? Just saying no. Making up in our mind that we're not going to do that because it doesn't please God and it doesn't help me grow closer to Him, so I'm not going to do it. So I'm just going to say no. My mind is made up. So the bottom line is He gives us. So many people who claim to know Jesus are not walking in obedience and they're not living in victory over sin. So that begins, once again, is there a truly a salvation conversion in my life? If not, then we need to get back to the basics here. So if one truly knows Jesus, there should be an authentic, genuine change in their life. So if you've not had that change in your life, not say, well, no, I'm just a nicer person, or I'm a good person, or I go to church, or I give to the needs of the church, or I help with this or help with that. None of that matters. The question is, has there been a legitimate, authentic, genuine change in your life that says it gives validation to what I claim in my walk with Jesus? But notice the changes that take place in Saul's life upon getting saved. We see the first one in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, that is Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that happened in the life of Saul upon getting saved is that he got the Holy Spirit. And you know that's true for every one of us. 
God's Word says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which you have of God and you're not your own. There's a hard point to swallow, right? That I am not my own. How many like to have your own decisions? Be like your own boss, your own authority. Two hands and a foot. Bottom line is, I don't want people telling me what to do because i got this all wrapped up, right? Bottom line is, he says, you're not your own because once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He walks with you. He talks with you. Everywhere you go, He's there. And the bottom line, He says, I've purchased you with my blood. We think about that too often. I I don't. I'm just being honest. I can get up and go about my whole day and never think about the fact that God purchased me. Shame on me. Shame on all of us. To be able to go through a day and not even think twice about it. God is so powerful, so gracious, so kind. He purchased us. So therefore, we belong to Him. We are His, and uh, He is ours. Number two, uh, He recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And you see that in verse 20. He says, immediately He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. The second change that happened in the life of Saul when he trusted Jesus is that he recognized who Jesus was. He is the Son of God. Now think about that aspect in our walk with Jesus. If we truly know Jesus, do we recognize Him as God? And as God, He has what? Control over us. He directs our footsteps. He orchestrates our paths. My, my life verse is Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delights in His path. I just trust God that He's going to give me every step that I should take, number one. And number two, He's going to give me joy in taking it. Does that mean I'm always happy? No. But do I always have joy? Yes, I do. There are days I wake up and i got a backache. Anybody else? There are days I wake up and my foot hurts. Days I wake up i got a headache. Guess what? When I have a foot ache and a backache and a headache or whatever, whatever ache ache that comes on, you know, I'm not real happy in the moment. But that doesn't rob me of my joy. Because my joy is in God. And I have another day of life and breath and praise to give to Him. So the bottom line is, I have joy because of that. And I know that he recognized Jesus as the Son of God in verse 20. And we need to recognize him as God in our life. He has control over me. And Saul understood that. Number three, verse 21, I think this is a huge one too. It says, and those hearing him continued to be astounded. And we're saying, is this not the one who in Jerusalem destroyed those that called on his name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. I mean, everybody around him saw, wow, is this really him? Is this the guy who actually had permission to take anybody who claimed to follow Jesus bound back to Jerusalem so that they could potentially put him in jail or even kill him? That's the guy! Oh, sign me up. I want to follow him, right? No, I mean, there was some fear. There was some trepidation. But people saw a change that took place in his life. So if we can claim to know Jesus, people ought to see a change in us. They really should. That we're not the same as the world around us. How many believe that we shouldn't be different? That we, shouldn't be, that we should be different? Right? We should be different. We don't have the same values. We don't have the same purposes. We don't live by the same principles. The bottom line is we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Word of God to guide us. And we have God with us no matter where we go, what we do. The bottom line, there ought to be a difference. But here's the thing. If I can blend into the world and people never know that I'm a child of God, they don't know I belong to Jesus, that's a problem. 
That's a problem in our life. If we can kind of chameleon our way in through life. Our coworkers don't know that we're saved. Our coworkers don't know that we go to church. Our coworkers don't know that we follow the principles of God's Word. <coughs> That's a problem. It tells us either we're ashamed of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for us, or we really don't truly know Him. And the bottom line is when Saul changed, or when, when Saul got a hold of God and God got a hold of him, there was a change that people saw in his life. And uh, it wasn't for show. I mean, here's a guy who immediately got some boldness a part of him and went out and proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. Verse 22, we see another change that took place. It says, but Saul kept, what's the word? Increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this one is the Christ. In other words, what's the word? He kept increasing. In other words, he was growing. Isn't that a huge thing? We kind of look at it like, well, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? That's the preacher's job. He should keep knowing the Bible. That's the missionary's job. He should keep growing. That's the Sunday school teacher's job. I mean, they better be prepared to teach that lesson to the kiddos. Is that not all of our job? Seriously? Is that not something that's commanded to all of us, to study the word of God? Be like the Bereans that search the Scriptures daily to see if what that guy says is really true. And that guy being me. You should be in God's Word. And you should be studying it. And you should be living it out in your life. And you should be challenging what I'm saying to you and compare it. Go home and, well, I heard Pastor Ken say this. Oh yeah, there it is. I get it. You should be studying that. This can't be the only day that you eat spiritually. Because you'll be spiritually malnutritioned. If you only ate physically one day a week, what would happen? How come we only eat spiritually one day a week sometimes? We need the spiritual food found in God's Word more than we need the physical food found in our houses. The bottom line is we have to be able to grow daily. We have to study God's Word. And can I just say this? If you don't have a reading plan, maybe that's what you need. And there's 8,000 trillion of them out there. And if you need one, come see me. I'll help you get into one. But the bottom line is you need to take time in God's Word so that you can grow. How do I know that Saul really got Jesus? Because he began to grow and increase daily. And that growth that he had spiritually from growing translated out in his boldness. I hear people say, well, I don't talk about the Word of God much because I really don't know that very good. I haven't memorized a lot of Scripture. and I really don't know what to say. Well, guess what? The more you read, the more you study, the more you'll know what to say when those opportunities come, right? But don't be shocked if you don't know what to say if you haven't been spent time in God's Word. Because they go hand in hand. I'm just telling you, I don't know a whole lot about a lot of things, but if I were to take the time and just study it, I could then begin to talk about it. If I take time to study God's Word, I'll be able to talk about it. But if I don't, it's because I'm not spending the time. Saul grew and he increased daily. Not only that, he grew in boldness, verse 22. Uh, so not only did he increase in strength confronting the Jews, but he grew in his boldness. He, he wasn't afraid who he talked to. Why is it that we're afraid to talk to people about spiritual things? Why is that? I mean, we're so afraid that they might not 
agree with me. They, it might hurt my feelings that they don't like me as much as they used to because they find out I'm a Christian or that I go to church or that I give to the church or that I help those in need. Why, why do we worry about those things? Why, do, why is it that we lose sleep over what other people think about us? I mean, we don't care that they don't like the clothes we wear. We don't care that they don't particularly like my house versus their house. We don't care that we drive a Ford and they drive a Chevy and they don't like Fords and they like Chevys. But when it comes to spiritual things, I can't go there. That's taboo. No, it's not taboo. It says I love you and I care for you. And I want you to know the Jesus that I know. Bottom line is, he grew in his boldness because he confounded the Jews. And in verse 28, he makes it even more clear. So he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out, what's the word? Boldly. In the name of our Lord. There was a boldness that came upon him. You say, well, will Saul really say Yes. I mean, all these things were gave evidence and validation to the fact that he knew Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Is it easy sometimes to give your life to Christ? No. I'll just say it. Because there are some people who will never understand why you made that decision. Or why you do this. Or why you do that in the name of Jesus. Why? It wasn't easy for Saul either. I mean, I don't know about you, but look at verse 16. Back in uh, last week's message, we, we touched on this. It says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Sign me up! I want to suffer, right? No, I don't want to suffer. How many of us don't like suffering? Raise your hand. I don't like suffering. I don't want to hurt. And I'm telling you, I'd rather have a knife cut that got four stitches than a paper cut. I'm just telling you, I, I don't like suffering, I don't like hurt, I've had enough, I don't want no more. He's about to find out how much he's going to suffer. It's not always going to be a bed of roses. It's not always going to be easy. Because what else do we find? Look at verse 23. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to put him to death. Well, wait a minute, aren't the Jews the people that he was a part of? Weren't the Jews the ones that he was best friends with? I mean, he went down and got per permission from the synagogues in Damascus to get anybody that was of the way to bring them hand and bound. I mean, he was their cohorts, right? I mean, they were colleagues. I mean, they were buddies. And all of a sudden, Saul, he's a dead man. He's marked. Once again, sign me up. Sounds like fun. I want to trust in Jesus knowing that these people are going to want to kill me. No, it wasn't like that, was it? It wasn't easy. It was not easy. And some of you have had just a little taste of being persecuted. I know a few of you have been rejected by your family when you became Christian because you are no longer Catholic. And some of you went through hardship because your family couldn't understand why you would go to that church or be part of that faith or be part of that belief system. But it's nothing like having a, a bounty on your head. So, not only that, look at verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Can you imagine? I mean, put this in the year 2023. They got that unmarked spotted car right down the road and they're watching with their binoculars. Yeah, he's coming out of the house. He's going down East Avenue. All right, take him when he gets down to 4th Street. I mean, they're watching him. He's, I mean, their eyes are on him. 
looking for the right opportunity that they could kill him. Not too fun, I don't think. And it didn't stop there. Look down verse 26. There's one group of Jews over here that want to kill him. Now there's another group over here that want to kill him. Look at verse 26. It says, And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but when they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. Or actually, kind of getting ahead of myself. But here is now, now those that he's a part of, his own discipleship group, and they're like, we don't trust him. Nope. No, he's that guy. He's that guy. Nope. I'm not spending time with him. Because there are those who yet still did not believe that he had truly been converted. So here's a group of people he's trying to associate with, it says. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So they, once again, verse 29, this other group, and as he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. So you not only got this group of Jews, but now you got that group of Jews all trying to kill him. See, coming to Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to go away, that everything's going to get better. Sometimes we have this idea, and I've known so many people over the years that said, well, I tried Jesus. Can I just tell you, trying Jesus is not where it's at. It's not about trying Jesus. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not a, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and maybe Jesus will help me get a better start in life this year. It's not something you try. Really? The bottom line is, Jesus is someone that we say, I'm all in with. He's now my life. I'm with Him. He's with me. I'm all in. And the bottom line is, that's hard for some people. And coming to faith... They're like, well, I don't really understand all this. I didn't either. I'm telling you, I was five years old watching that artist draw the picture and turn around and tell the story of how the sin of the world was nailed uh, or was on the back of Jesus and how he gave his life and shed his blood. I didn't know it all. I didn't understand all the terms. If you were to ask me and put a gun to my head, do you know what justification is? Nope. Five years old, had no clue. Didn't know what redemption was. Didn't know what all these big terms were. All I knew is that Jesus loved me. And I, over the years, I've grown and grown and grown. And as I study God's Word, He begins to teach me and speak to me and show me what I need to know to walk with Him. But the bottom line is, I didn't know it all. I didn't know where I was going to end up. I didn't know what God was going to do in my life. But I can think, I can safely say, nobody's tried to kill me yet for it. I just know that God has been at work. But here's what I also know. God protected him. And God will protect us. He'll protect anyone who puts their faith in him. Because now you're his. Do you think anybody... Let me ask you a question. If you have something of value, do you not protect it? I mean, I know the hypothetical what if. But what if you had 25 bars of gold hidden in your house? Like, sweet, I wish that were true. But can you imagine for a moment if you had 25 bars of gold hidden in your house, how many you think you'd protect that gold? You'd hide it, right? You want to make sure nobody else knew what it was. You might even hide it from your own kids, right? Because you don't want nobody to know it's in there. It's yours, it's hidden, it's tucked away. But nonetheless, you're going to protect it. So nobody knows about it, nobody's going to get it. See, I have to believe that because I belong to Jesus, 
because he's my father, God is my heavenly father, and I belong to him, he's going to protect me because I'm of value to him. Right? Sometimes we think, well, other people are of a value. They know more than I do. They, they have more, more knowledge than I have. They have you know, better speaking abilities. They have better gifts than I have. No, 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 no. If you belong to Jesus, you're valuable in his sight. And he's going to protect his own value. You're of worth to him. And I have to believe that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I have nothing more to worry about. He's going to take care of it. So God protected Saul in the same way. The disciples lowered him down in a basket to help him escape. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about it. Um, well, once again, just being lowered in a basket. <laughs> They're watching him like a hawk, wondering when he's going to come out. And they never see him come out. It's because he was lowered out a back window. Out of, out over the, I don't know how it worked. But can you imagine? He's not coming out the front door, guys. They already loaded him out the back. He's in the next town already. <laughs> it's like a modern-day movie. They had to make a movie of this. It'd probably be a block, block hit, right? Number two, God gave Saul a Barnabas. And this is huge. This is really huge. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and recounted to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. This is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible to me. That God gave Saul a Barnabas. How important was Barnabas in this situation? Here's a man who had a reputation. He's not a nice guy. He's not a guy that we'd all want to just hang out with on Friday night and eat some pizza and wings with. This guy has a reputation who was known for being mean and cruel to those who are believers. And so he goes into Damascus and all of a sudden all the other apostles that were there is like, I don't know guys, should we trust him? I don't think we can trust this guy. He's, yeah, I know what he says, but you know, I know his reputation. And God gives him a Barnabas to step in and say, guys, I know he has a reputation, but I want you to know something. I was there when God got a hold of his heart. I want you to know that his whole message changed from one of hatefulness and pride and arrogance to one that says, you should really know this Jesus. He is God's son. And because of what Barnabas did in stepping in at an appropriate time, it gave Saul credibility to do what God had called him to do. What's the application to this? I, I think there's two things I think we can apply here. Number one, is that there are times in our life that we need a Barnabas. And I believe that God's going to put him in at the appointed time. When you need a Barnabas, God is going to give you someone who is going to go to bat for you. In fact, isn't that what God's Word says? Don't let a man defend himself. Let another man defend him. I've seen that happen before in my life over and over again where God gave me someone to come beside me and give credibility. The bottom line is God will provide a Barnabas when you need one. And number two, it may be that God wants you to be a Barnabas. It may be that God wants you to come alongside somebody who may be new in their faith, or maybe they don't know everything that they should know, and maybe other people don't understand what's going on, but you step in and say, hey, I'm working with them. God's hand is on him. What if God wants to use you as a Barnabas? Would you do it? 
I mean, there was some risk for Barnabas, right? I mean, sure, Barnabas, what's in it for you? Why are you standing up for this guy? Why are you, why are you propping him up in front of us? Because I am a witness. I, I saw what God did in his life. It may be that God wants to use you as a Barnabas for him. And as a result of that, we see in verse 30, it says, but when the brothers, who's the brothers? Those who were of like faith, right? The other apostles, disciples. So verse 30, but when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. So once again, even though there was a bounty on his head, the brothers stepped in and says, we're going to protect. I don't know about you, but we need each other. And I think there are strength in numbers. How many would agree? I would rather be in a group of other believers standing together as one than by myself standing together as one. I want the crowd. I want every one of you to by my side. I want you to surround me. I want to surround you because there's strength in unity. And so the brothers step in and they give him what he needs to go on. And here's what happened. In the midst of all of this that's taken place, Saul didn't stop and say, well, I just should just quit. <laughs> I just feel like quitting. Maybe he felt that way, but he didn't do it. Anybody ever felt like quitting? I have. There's been times where I say, well, this is really hard. I don't really understand all this Christianity thing. I don't really understand all of it. Maybe there was some of that that took place in Saul. I mean, he's a brand new believer, right? I mean, he's just been on the road to Damascus. God's got a hold of his life. He's blind. He gets to Damascus. He gets the Holy Spirit there, which is pivotal to, to his ministry now. And all of a sudden, people are trying to kill him. I mean, he was the one out to kill others. Now they're trying to kill him. There's the table turns, right? But the bottom line is, through it all, look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was having peace, being built up, and going in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it continued to what? Multiply. You see, persecution often brings people to a place of decision. And that place of decision, usually if you make the right decision, will be honored by God. See, the church has historically grown under persecution. It has. You look back in history, when the church has been profoundly persecuted, the church also grew during those times. And I don't know what God may be doing in your life because you are the church, right? We're the church, I'm the church, you're the church. The church is not this building. It just houses the church. But when the church faces difficult times and we respond with faithfulness and obedience... God honors that, and he blesses that. So in conclusion, I want to just ask three questions. How do I know Saul was saved? Well, first of all, there's been a change. So if you truly know Jesus, has there been a change in your life? A change that gives validation to the fact that I once was this, but now I'm this. There's change. And the change is real, it's genuine, it's authentic, it's not temporary, it's from this point on. It's a change that takes place because God is doing a transforming work in my life. It doesn't mean I now have all the answers, but now it means I'm growing and I'm a desire to learn and I'm putting myself right at the feet of Jesus to say, teach me whatever you want. Number two, do others see it? 
See, we can't have a hidden faith. Hidden faith profits nothing. If I say that I'm a Christian but don't tell anybody, what, what good is it? It's absolutely of no value. Our faith should be public. Jesus' death on the cross was certainly what? Public? Then shouldn't our faith also be public for the world to see? He wasn't ashamed to die publicly. We should not be ashamed publicly to live for Him. And then number three, is the Spirit working in and through you? doesn't mean that you have all the abilities, all the skills, all the talents that you need to serve. It just means that's all the more I depend on Him to do what I can't. But I'm going in the power of the Spirit, not my own power. I'm going in the wisdom of the Spirit, not my own wisdom. I'm going in the strength of the Spirit, not my own strength. I will fail and so will you. I've just learned enough in my young years that I don't have what it takes to do it on my own. I will fail. Maybe you feel the same way. But the fact that there was a change, the fact that others saw it, the fact that it was not temporary, the fact that the Spirit was working through him, all give validation to his claims. That now he's a child of God. So what validates your claims to know Jesus? Has there been a change? That others can see the real, authentic, genuine, not temporary. Do others see it? It's not hidden. And it's the Spirit at work through you. I trust that those things are there. Because that's what gives validation. Lord, I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts this morning. Lord, as this service comes to a close, Lord, I ask, God, that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. Do we truly know you? Do you truly live within us? Can we say that there's been a change? Can we say that others see it because we're not ashamed of it? Can we see the Holy Spirit working in and through us as we did with Saul? I pray, God, that you would work in all of our hearts. And Lord, I do pray as we've been praying these last several weeks, Lord, that if there be one person here, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be a day of salvation for them. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment as we take a moment to respond to everything that we've heard.